God bless you and welcome to Yesterday Ended, Healing the Traumas of Life. I'm your host, Dennis Dobbin. Thank you so much for joining me today. There are different words used to describe the levels of a relationship with another person. These words describe how close we are to the other person. The words could be stranger or acquaintance or friend or good friend or best friend. What word would you use to describe your relationship with God? There are many different words that can be used to describe the character of a person. A person could be gracious or they could be harsh. A person could be generous or they could be stingy. A person could be forgiving or they could hold a grudge. What words would you use to describe God? The adjectives and adverbs that we use to describe God tell the story of what we think of him and how we relate to him. The words you use to describe God indicate what is in your heart towards him. Are you bound by religious duty or do you serve him because you know you are loved? Do you really know God loves you? If you're having trouble finding positive words to describe God in your relationship with him, today's episode will remind you of some truths of who he is and what he's like and how he thinks of you. If you need to change your descriptions of God, give a listen. There's a big fancy word that is an adjective that describes the highest quality, order, or degree. It's the word superlative. When I think of sections of scripture, the word superlative comes to my mind. In those sections of Scripture, it describes God and his blessings in extraordinary ways. One of the most common words used in the Bible to describe God is the word good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's Psalms 34, 8. More than two dozen times it speaks of the goodness of God. This is how the Scriptures describe him. But the question is, is that how we see him? Have we experienced that he is good? We've all heard John 3.16, and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We live in the world, and therefore should be able to experience that love if we choose to believe on his Son. But is that our experience? So my question to you this day is, how do you describe God? In each word there is power to bring strength or make you cower. They can open doors or bring down a tower. How do you describe God? Is he a God of abundance or of poverty? Is he a God of slavery or liberty? Are you his child or his property? How do you describe God? The words you use will set the tone that can make you smile or make you groan, to put you in the dust or sit you on his throne. How do you describe God? Is God indifferent to you? Is he good or bad? Does he show you his love or that he's mad? Is there real joy for you or does he make you sad? How do you describe God? For us to find the correct words that truly describe God, apart from what the world says, are of course found in his word. Unfortunately, they can be tainted by improper teaching and lies that others have told us. We need to go to the written word of God to see who he is and how he acts. 
Many years ago, I took a Bible and began in Genesis and underlined what I called the actions and attributes of God. I really wanted to know who he was from how he described himself and revealed himself in his word. I didn't want to know about him. I wanted to know him. Unfortunately, many people have taken certain words and phrases from the Bible and magnified them above other aspects of who he is. They make him out to be an intolerant bad guy. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Romans chapter 5. In the past, when I have not felt worthy or when I was being attacked by doubt and fear, I would read Romans chapter 5. This is a superlative chapter, one in which God piles blessings upon blessings. He states one blessing, and then in a manner like a game show host, he says, But wait, there's more. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we are told that we are justified by faith. This immediately separates us from legalism and the religion of works. Chapter 4 is all about the difference of salvation by faith or works. So it's stated very clearly, here we are justified, made righteous by faith. The result of that is, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's through Jesus and not our works that we have peace with God. So here's something that describes our relationship with God. Can you use these words to describe your relationship with God? When you want to talk with God, is he your loving father or a vengeful judge? For many years, I had the image of God that he was an angry old man with a big baseball bat ready to clobber me the second I sinned. There is a very famous sermon from the mid-1700s entitled Man in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. It is a real hellfire and brimstone type of sermon, but the title is a twist on a verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The context in Hebrews chapter 10 is indeed about judgment, but he's not an angry God. He is the living God. For some reason, Jonathan decided to describe God in a different manner, and because of that, many people have the wrong idea of the true character of God in the New Testament, who accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of the world. While it is true that God can be angry, we can kindle his anger, it is interesting to know that the words anger and angry are never used in the New Testament to describe God, not even in the book of Revelation. Five times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. The major difference is because of the cross of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice that took away the sins of the world. Though obedience is a requirement to please God, the way he looks at us is through our relationship with Jesus. Disobedience in the Old Testament could receive immediate consequences. You could die. But we have already been judged righteous in Christ. Now, because of the work of Jesus, God gives us multiple chances to get it right. Grace is not a license to sin, but a chance to try again. 
Let's continue with the blessings of Romans chapter 5. Verse 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we're justified by faith, and again by Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in grace, not judgment. You'll notice Jesus plays the starring role in the story of redemption. It's not about our actions, but about what he accomplished. The easier way to describe the difference between the Old and New Testaments is the Old Testament is do, the New Testament is done. The emphasis has switched from the doing of the law to the fulfillment of the law that was done by Jesus. Remember his last words on the cross? It is finished. The result of that fulfillment is spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The world, right now, is reconciled to God through Christ. This is the fulfillment of John 3.16. The invitation has been made, but it is only through faith that we receive. Unfortunately, the world has not accepted God's loving invitation. So to begin with, we have peace with God because we were justified by faith through Jesus. And we can rejoice in the glory of God because through Christ we have access by faith into grace. Then comes the first moment of superlative addition in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And not only so. I read this as, but wait, there's more. The blessings already stated are just the beginning. Now we learn about the progression of working through tribulations or mental pressure. Tribulation leads to patience and patience to experience. And experience ends in hope that doesn't leave us ashamed or disappointed. And to top it all off, we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's just the first five verses. The next example of God piling more blessings upon us is found in verse 9. Much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. To conserve time, I skipped over a few verses that tell us that Christ died for us when we were without strength, sinners, and ungodly. Do you use those words to describe yourself? Do you see yourself as a sinner or a much-beloved child in whom he is well-pleased? I would call what Christ did for us as being very gracious. Is that a word you would use to describe Jesus? Is Jesus accusing you or is he saving you? Earlier, we were justified by faith. 
That's our part to accept the invitation to be reconciled to God. Now it states in verse 9 that we are justified by his blood, which shows that, again, it's not by our works of religious acts, but by the saving grace of Jesus. The result being you are saved from wrath or punishment through Jesus. Well, that gives me a breath of fresh air. That instills confidence within me. Remember, we have peace with God. And then in verse 10, it states that when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of Jesus. Again, it's not your works. Nothing you could do can make you worthy to receive salvation. So quit trying and simply say yes to the invitation of God through Christ. Your sins have been washed away by his blood. He has lifted you up from being an enemy of God into being a child of God. And verse 10 finishes with another much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You're saved, made whole, complete by his life. You are free from your sin. You are made righteous. So stand up and tell all the doubt and fear to take a hike. Recognize the goodness of God that has been shown to you through Jesus. These 10 verses are just the beginning of this wonderful chapter that shows us what God has done for us through Christ. In verse 11 is another, not only so, and then in the following verses, three more, much mores. This chapter is truly superlative. It shows the highest order, quality, and degree of God's love and perfect provision for us through Jesus. It shows the great links he went to to reconcile us to himself. After hearing these few verses, what words will you now use to describe God and your relationship with him? Is God indifferent to you? Is he good or bad? Does he show you his love or that he's mad? Is there real joy for you or does he make you sad? How do you describe God? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words that you use to describe God and your relationship with him show your true belief in him. At one time, I thought God was withholding his blessings from me because it wasn't perfect. But then I began to understand his mercy and his grace upon me. God isn't looking for perfection. He is looking for faithfulness in our lives. In Proverbs, it talks about a righteous man can fall seven times, but he rises up again. It's not how many times you fall, but how many times you stand up and try again. And the beauty is, God always allows you to try again until your dying breath. God is always good. His mercy and his goodness will follow you all the days of your life. These are the true words that describe God.